Psalm 116, uh, beginning at verse 12. This is God's holy and infallible word. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And then I'd also invite you tonight uh, to turn to the back section of the blue hymnals. Uh, There's little numbers after the psalm and hymn numbers in the back. And page 57 is where we're going to look and what we're going to read together. So page 57 in the back portion of the blue Psalter hymnals. And 57 is... Page 57 is near the end of the Heidelberg Catechism, and it's the lesson, the Lord's Day, all the lessons are called Lord's Days, Uh, it's the lesson that introduces the topic of prayer. We've been looking at uh, some of Paul's prayers and studying prayer from that angle, and I thought tonight, well, let's take a bigger, more of a general view of the Bible's teaching on prayer. And that's what Lord's Day 45 does before it specifically moves to all the different parts of the Lord's Prayer explaining those for us. But we're looking at that bigger picture of how the authors of our catechism thought to summarize what the Bible teaches us about prayer. So there are three questions and answers here. Um, I'm going to read the second one, and I'll ask you to respond with the answer for this first one and then the third one. Okay, so I'll ask the question for 116, and then if you could together read the answer. Why do Christians need to pray? And then just follow along for this one. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, asking for everything he has commanded to ask. Second, we must acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what he has promised us in his word. And if you could answer uh, question 118. What did God command us to pray for? Okay, thank you. So, a statement um, as we begin, and it's this. Prayer is the most important part of our Christian life. That's where we're starting tonight. Prayer is the most important part of our Christian life. Our Bible study says prayer... Did I put that in there? Oh yeah, I did. Okay, I couldn't remember. 
Our Bible study says that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us, right? We read that. Prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. Well, what is the thankfulness that God requires of us? Well, that's nothing less, nothing other than talking about our entire Christian life. That's the thankfulness that God calls us to. Our whole Christian life, everything that we do. Our thankfulness is a response to everything God has done. And in this Bible study, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, right, we're taught about, first of all, our sin and our great need for God. And then we learn about our salvation, how God rescues us from our sin. And then we learn about how we serve and thank God in response to his love for us. It's just the, the three parts of that uh, great book of Romans, sin, salvation, and service. That's how that book goes too. So how do we thank the Lord? Well, with our lives. We read the Ten Commandments this morning, and that tells us how to thank Him with our lives. And, and the summary is to love God above all, to love our neighbors as ourselves, yeah, that's how we thank God. We spend our lives, our hearts, our everything to say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my, my family, uh, my children, uh, my friendships. Lord, I, I give you my talents. I give you my time. I give you my income because you have given me everything. Especially uh, your only son, Jesus, on the cross, salvation, eternity, forgiveness, joy, assurance. We spend our whole lives, all that we are and all that we have, saying thank you to God for all that He's done for us. And then we're told that prayer is the most important part of that thankfulness. Psalm 116 that we read, how can I repay the Lord for all His goodness to me? Guess what? I will call on the name of the Lord. John Calvin says, prayer is the chief exercise of our faith. The most important part of our thankfulness, and thus, the most important part of our Christian life. So, why is that, and, and how is that exactly? Well, we might say this is the case because, you know, this is just one picture to use for it, but we might say that uh, this is because prayer is the fuel for your Christian life and mine. It's the fuel for your Christian life. Your car doesn't go very far without fuel. Anybody here ever run out of gas? Someone must have. Makes you, you feel a little sheepish. Got a kind of a heart-sinking feeling. I actually never have, so I can't quite enter into the feeling. Watch, I'll run out this week because I said that. But, but prayer, we might describe it as loading that fuel tank to the brim so that the car can run. And as far as filling and keeping that fuel tank with gas, 
um, there's different philosophies, right? Uh, one philosophy with gas is to wait until the tank gets pretty low, and then you fill the tank. Others have a different philosophy. Uh, uh, they don't let it get very low. Um, some people are so OCD that they like don't get uh, let their tanks get below about half full, and that might that might be you. You might be the one who likes to run on fumes. We're not going to do a poll of that. And there's obviously not a right or wrong way uh, to fill your tank uh, in the car. I know I have my preference. You probably got yours. But with prayer, keeping our tank as full as possible all the time really needs to be the Christian's philosophy. Uh, We don't want to let it get to half empty or certainly not past half empty. We want to keep it full. Um, And and a reason for that is we need to be prepared in our lives um, for unexpected opportunities that that prayer supports us in and and our relationship with God does, but also unexpected challenges uh, that require our continual dependence on God. And, And we need fuel for those opportunities that come our way for those challenges. So prayer is our fuel uh, for our lives, for, our per, for personal revival, for spiritual vitality, and for your family's vitality and your extended family's vitality in this tough world. When we pray, we're acknowledging that we need the Lord, that we can't do it on our own, and we can't. Life is too hard. There are too many challenges, and sin is always getting in the way. Uh, We need the Holy Spirit. We need God's grace. And there's only power and strength when we know that we are weak, and then we bring that to the Lord. And so prayer is an extremely valuable fuel for our lives. But unlike gasoline, it's absolutely free to us, right? It did cost something, we know that, the life and blood of Jesus to make atonement for our sins so we can call on God our Father and so that we do have access and relationship to Him. But that price has already been paid. And now access to the Father is free for anyone who but comes and calls on the name of the Lord. Just like we need fuel for our Christian life, uh, each one of us, the church also needs fuel if it's going to take off. And that, that fuel is prayer. The fuel is not money. It's not the largest staff around. It's not programs. It's not a building. It's not a can-do attitude. It's not creativity in preaching and creativity in worship. It's prayer. Revival, renewal, Great things happen when there is first prayer. We read in the Catechism, God gives His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask, who pray for those gifts of God. Often, when you look at the history of the church uh, from the Old Testament to today, you find that revival, reformation are preceded by the prayers of God's people. In in the Old Testament, before the glory cloud of God filled the newly built temple, 
King Solomon led the people in amazing and powerful prayer. He had this vision for the temple. He built the structure, but it wasn't filled with the glory of God yet. But God did fill the temple with his presence after this intense and fervent time of prayer that the church had. Jonathan Edwards was probably the greatest preacher and the greatest theologian in American history. And he lived in like the early to mid-1700s. He's known most for a sermon that is not actually typical of the sermons he preached. But he's known most for this sermon, one that was called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Not a cheery title, but it helped spur on a tremendous revival in the church and in the city where he ministered. And and they say that the sermon was so powerful that as he preached, people were gripping the pews in front of them for fear that they would slip into hell. And, and, And so following that sermon, there was a great time of repentance for sin which was followed by revival. And that prayer, deep repentance and sorrow for sin to revival is kind of the typical pattern of revivals. They say that that, that, well, they don't say, I mean, it's a fact, it's recorded that that sermon and that revival was preceded by many, many people that were in fervent prayer the night before about the effectiveness of God's word being preached to um, the people by Edwards. The New Testament, we know, was, was kicked off by the disciples, Acts says, as they were in constant prayer. And then there was repentance, and then there was Holy Spirit revival, with the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. Most churches uh, come out of a revival and a reformation that happened in the 1500s. Lutheran churches and Reformed and Presbyterian, Anabaptists that later became like Baptists and the Mennonites, Anglicans, all came out of an intense time of revival and reformation. And even our own specific denomination, the Christian Reformed Church, our origins are out of a revival and a reformation that happened in 1834. It wasn't in this country, in another country, but it was preceded, that revival happened after many people were meeting in small groups, in homes together, studying God's word, praying for revival, praying for the church, praying to the Lord for his grace and spirit. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in England. I quoted from him this morning. It was like in the mid to late 1800s. And tremendous revival and renewal happened when he was a pastor uh, to the extent that they had to build a whole new church to hold all the people. And uh, so they built a church that sat 5,000 and had standing room for 1,000 more if they and when they needed it. And they often did. So it was filled with people who wanted to hear 
God's word preached. Isn't that amazing? And wouldn't that be amazing if God did something like that in our time? Maybe you've heard about Spurgeon and this church, uh, and you've heard that once Spurgeon gave, uh, this church was known all around, and Spurgeon himself gave a little tour of the church once to a group of very interested people. And after showing them everything, he took them downstairs, really like to the basement of the church, and he said to them, this little group who was touring, This is where you're going to find the true secret of our church and its ministry. They went, all went below and saw dozens and dozens of people gathered in prayer for their pastor, for the church, for the congregation. They were praying that the message of God's word would effectively go out and transform people in the church, transform lives beyond that and those prayer warriors committed the church to prayer during the week and during every single worship service they were down there praying and and that's why Spurgeon and that church were successful not because of uh, his eloquent words though he did have a way with words but it was because of prayer so How will God accomplish great things in our midst here at Faith CRC? How will he accomplish his mission and his purpose? We can't expect God's mission uh, to happen or for there to be a, a great vision for the church that is carried out because the council decided on a mission and a vision. Uh, We can't expect this powerful mission to accomplish because uh, we can find it in the bulletin or we can find it online. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask. It's not to those who put it in uh, the minutes of a leadership meeting. It's not to those who spend uh, some hours discussing and planning the mission but to those who ask, he gives his grace and Holy Spirit. And so, join in that Sunday morning pre-service prayer time in rooms one and two. Join the men's Wednesday morning prayer group on Wednesday. Come to pray when we have those special prayer services that we We've been having them at least three times a year. And may so many people come that we've got to have more prayer services. Pray in your homes for God's church here. That's the number one strategy for building God's church here at faith. And as we learn in 2 Corinthians, God does stuff. When we're on our knees, God does stuff in our weakness and he brings his power when we acknowledge our dependence on him, our weakness. And when we're together dependent on him, the mighty acts of God inevitably follow. That's how it's always been. It's the key to personal, family, church, national revival. It can happen 
And we certainly can't control the nation or, you know, the whole country. But we can make a difference, each one of us, in our own lives, in our homes, and in our church home, in terms of prayer. So let's do it. And let's keep doing it and watch what God will do. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for the examples in your word from the Old Testament to the New Testament and then examples all throughout history of what happens in your church if people commit to pray. If, if we, oh God, humbly but ask for your gifts if we ask for your grace, if we ask for your Holy Spirit, help us not to be lukewarm, help us not to be complacent, but to actively and to passionately pray for more of you in our lives, in this church. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.